Steve Mason was on the show some years back from that episode earlier in his life. He had a few friends that were were close and their friendship was centered around the mutual love of motorcycling. They were young. They had plenty of time to spend hanging out and talking about bikes and cruising the streets. But as time passed and they got older, they drifted apart and motorcycles took a backseat in their life. And then 30 years went by. And then suddenly a chance encounter brought them all together again. And the next thing you know, Steve quits his job and him and his buddies are back on the road again. Only this time, instead of cruising the streets around home, they're riding through foreign lands, crossing borders, and having the time of their life. And in all, they spent five months on the road, an exceptional trip. And then it was over. They all headed home and got back to normal life. But as you can imagine, this didn't so much scratch an itch as it did kindle a flame, especially for Steve. And also for Steve, returning home was a bit rough. He'd quit his job before he left. He spent a good chunk of money on the trip. He had a family that depended on him. And he said it was pretty rough getting settled back in again. But even as he did, he couldn't shake the desire to get back on the road again. He just had to figure out how to make it work so that when he came back home, he didn't have to start everything all over. And this time, he wanted more, a bigger trip. He wanted around the world. This is how he did it. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Dragoon. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Quentin Smart. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. My name is Steve Mason. I'm from Lenzie in Scotland and I'm retired. Steve, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi there. It's been a while since we've talked. Uh, last time we talked, you you did you did a trip with your friends, a few trips, didn't you? Can you sort of give that a little synopsis of that? I did, yeah. So I, I, we did a, a few one week type trips, a couple of trips to the US, and I, I, I did a, again a one week trip down to South Africa with a friend. Uh, so they they were all short term bike hire trips. Uh, and then eventually we did the the major trip, which was uh, the from South America up to Alaska, uh, and we did that in two thousand and fifteen. Right, and if I remember correctly, these, these were old friends of yours. Yeah, the, these were friends that I had uh, had actually we hadn't seen each other for about thirty odd years, and we got back together, and and our our common interest in the past and our common interest now was was motorcycles, so. And that got us to, to, to getting together for, for various trips and, and and finally the big one. Right. Yeah. And are you still in touch with them now? Yeah, yeah, I'm still in touch with them, yes. Oh, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's pretty neat. So it's like it was like it was old friends coming together and then you end up doing yeah. these trips together. That that was very cool. Yeah. So so after you've completed this trip, actually you wrote a book about that. What what's the book called again? 
Hey, llamas, bananas, and bears. Lama, llamas, bananas, and bears. We'll, we'll put a link yes. in, the, in the show notes to that as well. That was like several years ago that we had you on. Well, since then, since then you came up with a, well, you didn't get enough, I guess is what it was. Those trips that you did just weren't enough, or maybe they fueled something. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, what happened was I'd done what I would, I would say I'd done kind of two adventure type trips. Uh, and the first one was in 2012 on my own up to the North Cap, which is the very northern point of Europe. Uh, but after doing that one, that was the big hankering that I needed to do something big. Mm. Uh, and, and that was the, I went on the Llamas, Bananas and Bears trip. Uh, the thing, the Llamas, Bananas and Bear Strip was, was four and a half months, which in maybe, you know, other people's terms isn't very long. But for me, we are family and working and stuff. It, it was a big, big trip. Uh, and I actually gave up my job to go on that trip. Uh, and when I arrived back, the, the landing wasn't perfect. Uh, my wife described me as feral uh, because I, I took a wee while to just get back into normal life, going shopping, you know, empty the dishwasher. Uh, and I had to go and find a job. So it was tough. And you know, obviously, I've got, uh, as I say, I've got a family. It was quite a tough landing, but she got me sorted out and everything was good and I got a job. Uh, and But I was still not satisfied. I still yearned actually to ride around the world and I was plotting a way around how I could possibly do that without creating havoc in my life. What is it about the those first trips that sort of fueled it, that made you come back with more of a passion? And and, and also talk about that. You, you mentioned about that. It, w- it was a rough landing. What, what was that all about? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think, I had never done anything like that when I when I went up to the North Cap. I'd never that was I was on my own in that one, and I'd never done anything like that before. Uh, and I just loved the. I mean, I did a lot of camping and uh, some relatively wild camping, and and uh, just the just the that getting on your bike every morning and and, and heading north in this case uh, mainly for a while was uh, it, it was just really really enjoyable, and I, and I think the same thing the in the the, the llamas, bananas and bears trip, again, it was like the only thing we had to do in the morning was was head north and we're going to take in some phenomenal scenery and ever-changing scenery. And I guess the it's the, the adrenaline of some of the the danger is you're, you know, you're entering Honduras or something like that. It just It, it, just, it just felt like you felt really alive with it, uh, is how I'd describe it. Uh, so I just really felt as if I had to do more and I just, I'd been to the bottom of the world to the top of the world, roughly, and I felt as if I'd love to get around the world. You know, arguably the the riding of the motorcycle day after day is, is the same thing as kind of going out on a day trip. You get up in the morning, you get on your bike, you ride, with the difference you're coming back home. What is it about being on a, a, a multi-day trip? And I know you mentioned about going to different countries, and I definitely get that. But what is mm-hmm. it about, the, or is there something more to that multi-day trip, something that sort of builds day after day that you get on the motorcycle that exceeds what you get on, on a day trip or a weekend or a week? I think so, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe. It's just that you're parking up, you're unpacking, you're, you've got your bike there, you know what you're up to the next morning. You know, there's you know there's some some new stuff ahead of you. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a great feeling. Uh, even in shorter trips, it's a great feeling to have an overnighter and you're up in the morning and getting your bike packed, getting your tent packed away. Uh, 
yeah, it's, it's hard to describe it. It's just, just it's a, it's a really good feeling, uh, especially when you're in places that you've never been before and in really good scenery and stuff like that. You mentioned about um, having a tough landing from that last trip. When you got back, you had trouble doing the normal things. And what you said there was something to do with shopping. What was so difficult? <laughs> I think it was just, I, I, I had... The, the challenge every day, and maybe that's what I missed out in the last answer, you, you feel as if you've got a challenge every day and, 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 and sometimes it's quite stressful. I mean, it's definitely not great every day. Uh, sometimes you can have a bit of fear and stuff like that. Uh, you're worried about it or, or you have a, a, an issue, an accident, and you're, you're dealing with that. And it was just coming back to normal life was just, you know, it was just the... the, the the stability of it all, I guess, is how I'd put it. You said stressful in there. You know, that the, the yeah. trip was stressful. You're dealing with things that are stressful. Normally that, to get away from that, would be such a relief. You know, yeah. you know that would be kind of like going on a vacation from work. You know, you're stressed yeah. at work and you go on a vacation. It'd yeah. be such a relief. You're finding the opposite. You, you leave the stressful situation. You go back to home where it's relatively easy, so to speak. Yeah. And that's that's tough to handle. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Although let, when I say stressful, I mean, a lot of it is just enjoyable. But there are, what I'm saying is that in a whole trip, there are stressful moments. And I think you then get, you get, you feed off the stress a little bit after you've got through it. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm there. I'm on the road again. I'm, 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 I'm. And, and you see that as a success. Mm. So, so yeah. is it a sense of accomplishment? Is that, is that what you yes. feel when you're doing yes. it? Yes, uh, very much so. I love you know, it's like I'm a bit of a box ticker. A box uh, ticker. <laughs> yes, about, you, you know, want the sticker, the badge, the picture of you standing by the sign, sort of thing. That that's that's that, part of your goals. That's part of my goals. Right. <laughs> I shouldn't admit that, but yes, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> so you you decided that you want to do a round the world trip. Is, was that what was yeah. in your mind at first? Was the round the world because you said you went top to yes. bottom? So you want to go around the world. Yeah. So so this is interesting because we just talked about this. I think on the last episode or something like that. But we were mm-hmm. talking about you know this this whole description of around the world <laughs> because mm-hmm. there is no defined round the world route. There's not like a there's anywhere no. posted that I've ever seen where it says no. you must pass through this city, you must pass through this place, you know anything like that so how do you come up with your round the world trip yeah well i totally agree and, and some people might say that I've, I've actually not been around the world but for me it's i feel as if i have so uh it, it was I, I was looking at it from again from a how can i make this happen within a reasonable amount of time frame at a reasonable cost so i was looking for a route that that would uh, get me there you know, in an interesting way, but but without maybe a massive border crossings, etc. So so I I just could plot through the map, getting through the EU countries because the UK was part of the EU then. Uh, we could get through the EU countries up to Lithuania, Latvia, and into Russia, and then I really wanted to go to Mongolia. That was like almost like the one country that I was really 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 wanting to go to, so I could cross Russia, and. Uh, I thought initially I thought I'd drop into Kazakhstan and through Mongolia, then back into Russia out to Vladivostok, which is in the Sea of Japan. So that was for me part one of going around the world, and the second part was crossing the Americas. But mm-hmm. yeah, you can go further south, and some so, people go further north. And you just mentioned that part of your planning process was fewer borders. So that's that's part of what you're looking at—a route that will take you through fewer fewer borders. And that I assume is because you have a time limit. Is that what it is? Yes, that's right. So uh, 
what what a, a, the way that I had initially conceived that I could possibly get away with this from a work point of view, from a being sensible with the family point of view, was to split the trip into two. And I, I looked at that route as part one of the two. And uh, and that that route itself was I was looking at as a six-week trip. Uh, my problem was in Vladivostok, what would I do with my bike? Uh, you know, could I air freight it back? Would it be cost? Well, I'm sure it would be costly. Uh, what what could I do with it? Because most people taking that route would forward their bike from Vladivostok to South Korea. So that's a kind of known route for, for adventure bikers to go and continue. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was trying to bring it back to Scotland. Uh, but a solution come up via Adventure Rider Radio. Hmm. You, you heard something on the show? Yeah, there was a, a an advert for a company in the show that was doing uh, Trans-Siberia hard Highway tours from Moscow to Vladivostok. And uh, and I, I didn't want to go on a tour. I definitely didn't want to go on a tour from Moscow to Vladivostok because it would miss out Mongolia. But the guy was offering, you could either hire bikes or he, you could take your own bike and he would arrange the, the shipment of your bike back to Moscow and the Trans-Siberian Railway. So... I suddenly thought if I can convince this guy to go to do some kind of custom thing where I can go to a place that was Novosibirsk, which is in the edge of Siberia, uh, at kind of maybe a few hundred miles above Mongolia, if I could go with him to there and then leave them, and then if I could go to Vladivostok and he could arrange to have my bike shipped back to Moscow and he could hold my bike until I came back and got it. Uh, that would be a solution to that part one, and and thankfully he agreed to do that. Oh, I see. And and obviously it's okay, or at least it was at that time. What, what year are we talking? Two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen, right? Uh, th- this this was two thousand and seventeen that I went on that trip. Two thousand and seventeen. Yeah. Okay, so yes. so in two thousand and seventeen, you were allowed to leave a motorcycle in Moscow. That that wasn't an issue. Yes, I mean, the, the, effectively, when I, I, when I got to Vladivostok, I left the bike, they shipped it back, and I went back to Scotland for three weeks and then flew to Moscow and brought it home right, just right. to allow the train stuff to happen. Right. So and the, so that was the one half, and then the other half you went and you did North America. So when you're planning this, what sort of budget do you have in mind for all of this? It's like this whole round-the-world trip. What's it going to end up costing you before you go? Yeah, so, so the, the, I had a budget. And for the whole thing of uh, £20,000. So it's not insignificant. Mm-hmm. And quite a big piece of that is in shipping costs, especially the, the US shipping costs. Right. So £20,000. And what time yeah. frame? Well, how long before you went on this? How long were you planning? What would it, what would it take you, you thought? So it's, it was it's going to be six weeks for the, the first part and four weeks for the second part. Although the second part included a, my wife meeting me in Boston so that she was getting something out of the trip. Ah, nice. So well, that's a good so, idea. So 10 weeks, 20,000 yeah. pounds in 10 weeks. Yeah. And that will get you the round the world trip yeah. that you've been planning. Now you broke this, as you mentioned, you, you, you broke this into two. So, so let's yeah. look at that first trip. First of all, what, what bike are you, are you using for this? It's a, a 2009 GS, BMW 1200 GS. It's a bike you've had for a while. Yes, it's done all the trips. It's done 84,000 miles. Oh, I see. So did you do any sort of prep work on this thing before you're planning this round-the-world trip? Yeah, I, I use a little local garage, uh, and and they've they've always, well, since I, when I come back from the, the Lamas, Bananas, and Bears trip, the, the bike was 
bent out of shape. So they helped me get it all straightened up and uh, and sorted out. So ever since then, you know, they, they, they take care of the, the bike. So he, he prepped it for me. Bent out of shape? You mean physically bent? Yeah, yeah. The, the front piece of the frame was bent. So in your show, I talked about a crash where... Uh, Barack Obama's motorcade oh, took me out. Right. Yeah, so so the bike was. I mean, my handlebars were were not facing straight all the way to uh, Alaska from Panama. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the terrible thing about that is you get used to it after a while. Yes, it was weird. It was weird to ride straight again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So and then and I had clocks to replace, and I kept breaking indicators and stuff. So so he. He, we refurbished it using some second-hand parts as well because the bike had been through a lot, so it wasn't worth buying, it, you know, new parts all the time. So. And seen, being that you already did this other trips with this bike, yeah. did you not have to change much on it? You just taken the bike as it is? It no, no, of- the bike was the bike was ready to roll. Uh, the only thing, basically, the thing I changed was my tent. I got a freestanding tent, which I'm glad I did, rather than you know, because it was. I, I thought I might be staying in some rocky situations. Uh, you're saying freestanding, not you didn't get a yes. freestanding tent. You no, got a no, freestanding no, tent, no. right? Just, I got uh, yeah, it. Yeah, the okay. tent was standard its own right. without tags. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. with you then. Okay, so yeah. as far as the bike though, how is the bike set up? I mean, hard panniers, soft panniers. What are you doing for tires? That uh, sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's hard panniers uh, and. It's got, uh, uh, I had the kind of half and half off-roady road tyres for the first piece, but I changed them when I get to, got to Novosibirsk into more off-road tyres to go through Mongolia, which I'm really glad I did. Uh, and, and then I used those tyres all the way home. So, but yeah, so that, I've got a couple, I had a couple of petrol cans on top of the panniers and then just, yeah, tent stuff and bags and whatever, so... No, nothing special. It's got crash protection. In fact, uh, after the, the first big trip, I, I bought the upper bars because I thought that might be a good idea. Mm. Uh, so it's got the, the, the bars and the upper bar protection. So the, when you say upper bars, they're the bars that mount to the lower engine guards that go around and the upper bars are the are the big things that yeah. come up around the, the, um, your signals, yeah, up towards your signals. Yes, up towards my signals. Right. And after all of this, after after all these trips, right now in hindsight, when you think of your bike and think of prepping a bike for this sort of trip, how important do you think it is to have the right bike with the right gear prepped the right way? Like, how do you feel about that now compared to when you first started out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that it's, it's well prepared. I never, ever broke down. So I think it's important that it's well prepared, well maintained, and, and, and you've got the right gear. Uh, and, and obviously you've talked a lot in the show, you don't want to overpack and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, and, and right bike is a good question because it wasn't the right bike for the state of the roads in Mongolia, but uh, it was the right bike for everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that is an adventure bike, isn't it? I mean, really, it's, yeah. the, the adventure yes. bike is, I, I think, a lot like a 50-50 tire. I mean, it's probably yes. great at nothing, <laughs> but it's really uh-huh. good right. at a lot of a lot of different things that we use it for. Well, that's interesting. Well, let's talk about this round-the-world trip. So you, you decide yeah. you're going to set off. What, what, what does this look like? So I, I set off from Abdurmurkin Point, which is the most westernly point in Scotland. Uh and it was going to be a, a mix. Well, I was going to be camping, but when I was with the the, uh, the Russian guys, they had pre-set hotels kind of thing. So I set off on my own 
uh, and headed out. You, so you, you need to get a ferry from England across to, to mainland Europe, to the Netherlands, and then up, up across through Germany and Poland and Lithuania, Latvia. And I came to my first border crossing and, and bizarrely I, I saw a Ducati parked up in a, with Dutch plates parked up in, in the same, uh, the place that I'd stayed in uh, Latvia and, and it turned out to be one of the guys that was, was on this tour. So we, we went and crossed the, the Russian border with him and it, it was slow. It was like South America, but not as chaotic, just slow, but it was okay. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that, that was it. And then it was a, a couple of days ride to Moscow. Mm. And, and uh, do, you, do you sort of feel that's where the, the trip kind of really starts? Is at least the, the exciting part? Uh, in a way for me, it was once I entered Poland, because I'd, I'd been through, I'd been in, I'd worked in the Netherlands and stuff and I'd been in Germany a lot. But once I entered Poland, I was kind of in uncharted waters. Mm. And then Lithuania, Latvia felt, you know, quite, they, they gradually get kind of slightly poorer and poorer in terms of the countries as you're moving along. But yeah, once I was into Russia, yeah, it did feel as if it started, but it was it was very much, you know, good roads, motorways type thing heading into this big city that was extremely modern and, you know, and at that time had all the, you know, American food outlets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And very beautiful, very beautiful. How do you deal with the language as you're going through, right right from Poland? Uh, Poland, they seem to speak English relatively well. Uh, and But I, I mean, it's just using my hands and smiling a lot because uh, I, I certainly didn't know the language at all. Uh, so it, it was just, you know, sign language pointing and, and uh, you know, just imitation and stuff. Are you camping at, the, at this point? I camped on that way across uh, until I got to the uh, to to Russia. Yeah, right. And then when you're when you're in Russia, you're meeting up with this with this tour group. Are you? Are you riding with them? Yes, I met up with a tour group, and and you know, I was I think was I sixty then. I was the youngest, which was quite interesting. So it was a mature group. <laughs> it's always nice, isn't it? At yeah. sixty, when you're the youngest, it yeah, doesn't happen yeah. a lot. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't. And it was uh, a couple of Canadians, an American, uh, a German, an Austrian, and an Englishman. Uh, yeah, so there were a nice bunch of people. And we met up with them, obviously, and, and we set off. Uh, although I have to say, when, when we set off, it was, I don't know if you've seen the, the scene out of Wild Hogs where they're all setting off and the, they're shaking around in their Harleys because they can't ride properly. <laughs> Some of these guys hadn't done a lot of riding, and I was like, "We're coming out," and I was behind them, thinking, "Oh my god!" You know, <laughs> Wild like Hogs is a is a movie. Yeah. It's a movie yeah, about guys who are riding motorcycles. They're kind of wobbling around a bit, yeah. but anyway, they were they were good people. Uh, yeah. Now, are they all on their own bikes, or are they on the, mm, uh, no. the company's bikes? There was one other guy on his own bike, the English guy who Graham, who actually lived in Aberdeen in Scotland had come out in his own bike. Uh, I, I Obviously, I didn't know him till I, I saw the bike with the, the Scotland, the little Scotland plate in the, in the car park, which was a surprise. But yeah, he was in his own bike. The rest of the guys had higher bikes. Mm. Now, and where are you going to go with the tour group? Where where does that take you in Russia? 
Yeah, so it's kind of halfway across to, to a place called Novosibirsk. Uh, so, and, and the idea, the, the big thing for me, the beauty of this was going with this tour group for that piece would get me acclimatised to Russia. It was allegedly, and it turned out to be the most kind of, I don't want to say boring because it wasn't boring, but, but it wasn't scenic. It was just you were going from city to city and sometimes in dirt roads and, and you know, he wasn't going in the highways. So it's a decent roads through forests and flatlands, but it, it wasn't the scenic part. Uh, so I felt as if that's a good part to acclimatise. And, and also it was good for my family to think, you know, that I had people around me at that point just to, again, acclimatise to the Russian thing because... Mm. Obviously, I had no idea about Russia, fuel stations, nothing in the language, etc. So, uh, and obviously, road signs wouldn't be easy. Yeah, and that's what I think of when you're when you're saying that you're going to go with a tour company. I'm thinking that yeah. that gives you a connection, a local connection, even yes. afterwards when you're off on your own. At least you have that local connection of somebody that, that you. That was the thing. Yeah. Yeah that that that's got to be worth a lot, especially for mm -hmm. a trip like that. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the, the paying the what the price I paid wasn't too bad at all. But but, but uh, the big thing I was paying for to get my bike back from Vladivostok and the Trans Siberian uh, Expressway, and to, for him to keep it till I I went and collected it, that was the big win. And the bonus was, you know, you you had someone to contact and you're meeting some nice people, and it was a kind of shorter period of time that you're doing that. Mm -hmm. So where do you end up going with the the tour company? Uh, so, so we just routed our, our way across Russia, uh, and we we ended up in in the just this town in, in Siberia, Novosibirsk. But uh, I mean, we 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 stopped off in a, a there's a couple of can you, we stopped off at the Kalashnikov rifle uh, factory, which was interesting. Uh, we stopped off at the Ural motorcycle factory. Uh, which was another interesting one. We got to ride a Euro sidecar and stuff like that. Oh, wow. But yeah, it, it was nice. It was interesting stuff. But uh, it, it was a means for me to, to get to where I wanted to go to. And then what happens there? That This is where you head off on your own? Yes, yes. We, so we got to Novosibirsk and uh, I get my tyres changed over and, and Graham, the English guy, had he, his bike service there. So we, we both went out and uh, and then these guys were heading on through Russia and I headed south, basically, or southeast towards Mongolia, which so was uh, you're where off the on fun all started. Yes, I was on my own. Right. And interestingly, I was what, an hour into the journey on my own and I was in a gas station and come out and I crossed a double yellow line, which I didn't notice, and a cop pulled me over. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, after all that time, because I mean, you're kind of riding a bit on your own, even with a tour group, but I'd never been stopped. So, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I was trying to explain to him that I was from Scotland, pointing to flags and simulating drinking whiskey and playing bagpipes and stuff. And <laughs> I, I don't know if you've you seen the movie Braveheart, Jim. Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah. Right. But anyway, so the Mel Gibson at the end shouts, freedom. Right. So right. eventually the guy goes, Braveheart, and both of us together shouted freedom <laughs> at the same time. And and just he smiled and he says, okay, he waved me away, he let me go, which was really good. But it was a nice moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, brought together through Hollywood. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So when you're riding off on your own before, for instance, you get pulled over by this cop, what's that feel like? Is, is there any apprehension there? Is it, is it, yes. does, there must be. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah, well, definitely. It's, well, it's, it's, 
that the usual excitement and apprehension. I'm I'm on when I'm going for it now. I'm heading to Mongolia. I'm going to get you know and, and thinking about where the other guys are going in that. But also yeah, nervous thinking. That, you know this is the this is me definitely on my own, and I wonder how this is going to go. So, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, definitely. I was definitely apprehensive and it was quite a big city and coming out of the city there was like some crashes and stuff like that going on I thought oh you know it's almost as if you you get these wee challenges that haven't been there before because you're suddenly on your own right and you're heading down into Mongolia that's where you're headed to first yes uh, I hadn't I I wasn't aware and I should be and it's why not? But anyway, the Alti region down there, uh, just before you get to Mongolia, the Russian Alti is is like all these massive snow-covered mountains. And it's, it suddenly turned into the absolute most scenic place that I'd been to. You know, as I said, it was all very flat with trees and stuff and quite barren at times. But uh, and we, I get down there on, you know, in day one, I felt as if I was riding in Colorado or something. <sighs> So it was just that kind of lighting me right up. And I thought, this is fantastic. Uh, and eventually I, I headed right down there uh, to, to you know, the just before the border with Mongolia. Uh, but yes, a beautiful, beautiful place down there. What is the draw for Mongolia? What what makes you want to go there so bad? When, when we were doing the South America trip, we, we met a... a, a, a Swiss couple actually, uh, and the guy they had come across from Mongolia. Uh, they'd shipped their bikes from in their version of the round the world trip. They shipped their bikes from Mongolia to Vancouver, and uh, they had the Mongolia stickers. And we just he just talked about it, said it was really good, and you know I'd read stuff about it, and uh, I just thought, yeah, that's it. It feels like proper wild Mongolia, mm-hmm. uh, and I just really fancied it. So what was it like? So, yeah. Well, it was it was it was brilliant. It started off the border crossing started off interestingly because uh, I, I get down the border crossing and I was doing the rushing bit, and they asked me if I had any medication, and I brought out my my medical bag, and I had a box of paracetamol and codeine extra, codeine extra. My wife had said, take you know as strong as you can in case you you have a fall on your own or something. And uh, and this is stuff, I mean, it's like, we've got a, a chemist here called, or a pharmacy called Boots, the chemist. And uh, it's like Walgreens in America. It's just, so it's got the Boots branded logo. I mean, it's perfectly legal, but not in Russia. It's a drug. So mm. they, they held me for an hour. Then they took me away. And then they, they made me stand with the, the packet of paracetamol. And they put some kind of strange, strangers they just pulled for the crowd next to me. So I'm standing with pictures taken with us. And I thought, what is going on? I thought, you got to be kidding. And then they said, like, come in and they pulled me into a, a building. And I genuinely didn't know whether I was going to a cell or a, an office. And I think, this is crazy. <laughs> How do you explain this? Well, this they had you in a lineup? Like, that's, that's like a, like a perp it, it, lineup, it, it, you know? It, 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 it wasn't so it wasn't for identification it was like they just had these guys and they were dressed in traditional mongolian dress i guess they were mongolians standing next to me and they they, they were taking pictures i had to hold up the paracetamol and i don't know why they were there i still don't know why they were there uh, maybe some sort of prize showing they've got an, a, another drug dealer <laughs> i don't know i really don't know but and you're smiling holding the stuff thing. up anyway you're just you're I'm good. grimacing probably thinking <laughs> what's going to happen here <laughs> so they took me in and then they interviewed me for about an hour they brought this lady in 
who could speak a wee bit of English and eventually they just said, okay, they, they, I guess they charged me or something in a way, but, and then they said, you can go. And I thought, oh, you know, what's it going to be like? Because I've still to get back into Russia. So that was obviously a bit of a worry for Ooh, me. Yeah, because you're, you're only going into Mongolia and then you're going back yeah, up into then Russia. Back again. Out. Yeah. So, but, why, so did, hey, why, why didn't you get caught on the way in? Yeah, because they, they, it was like, uh, they never asked to, to look at it. They didn't oh, search me. I see. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? Like, so something yeah. you can buy off the shelf at home yeah. could yeah. it could have landed you in jail. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's drugs. It's classed as drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you cross the border, you, you get, you across, finally... Across the border, and, uh, and as, as I crossed the first little bit of dirt road, uh, I had read that you, there was potentially robbers in the road, and they would pull you over, kind of, with a pretense of asking you for... You know, a question. Yeah, Mongolian. Oh. Uh, and and a, a little guy in a one two five was buzzing me, and I didn't stop. But I think at the end of the day, he was just trying to lure me towards his hotel. So I don't think it was a big deal. But it was just it was an interesting one. But I was I was feeling happy with the the state of the road. It was a, a dirt road, but I thought, yeah, it's a gravel road. It was it was perfectly doable. And that got me to my first night in uh, in Mongolia. Uh, which was good. And is that uh, camping or are you staying in hotels? I, I stayed in a, a hostel in, mm-hmm. in UAE. Uh, and from there I was I was going to a place called Coved the next day. And I knew that that would be half tarmac and half dirt based on the, the French guy's rough map. Uh, so when I got, I came and, and right enough, it was, I mean, the place was beautiful, by the way, there's eagles flying above me and it was just a stunning looking place. There's camels in the distance, there was uh, wild horses running around. I mean, it's a stunning place in the middle of all the drama. But uh, when I got to the, the bit where I knew it was going to turn to, to, to gravel, uh, they were building a road and it's the, they've got uh, Chinese companies building roads. And the, the problem was they, they, they're following the line of the gravel road to build the roads. So they're just spitting everybody out into the desert. Uh, and you'd kind of ride sometimes with the road and sometimes not, and tracks are going everywhere. And of course, I had my fully loaded GS, and I, I think I went about 200 yards and I, I fell off in the sand. Uh, and I've, I've had zero experience of sand riding as well at that time. Mm. Uh, so I thought it's going to be a long day. and 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 it, it was a long day, you know. I, it it did keep putting me out to to places where I wasn't sure if I was in the right track. And uh, you do all the things that you shouldn't do. One, I should have deinflated my tires. I knew that didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> two, uh, and you you read that you know never ask locals and you know that are driving past in a minibus never start showing them a map because they'll have no idea they might have never seen a map mm-hmm. and uh, I was showing these folk I had to stop these guys I was showing them the map and they just kept saying China China and I thought am I far too far south can you think am I going to hit China here have I gone the complete wrong way and like suddenly kind of like the the US cavalry in the Hollywood movies these three Russian guys come over the horizon in GS's and I pulled them over and they said, yeah, no, you're, you're going the right way. You're, you're heading to Cove and, you know, just, just keep going that way. You'll be fine. 
And I thought, right, I'm I'm going to get in. I'm going to get behind the lead rider here of them, and I'm going to stick with them. So suddenly, I found I was going four times faster than I had been. Because again, on my own, I was. I know you you should ride fast in sand, but having never ridden in sand and being on my own, I was just nervous about it because I didn't want a big fall. And uh, so I was riding after this guy and, and actually loving it because I knew there was three guys behind me to pick me up. And I followed him maybe for about five miles and then he pulled over and he says, uh, you should go now. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. And I thought, fair enough, okay. So, uh, so they went let let me go and they held back and kind of wanted me away wait, wait, wait a second they, they wanted to get rid of you yes yes I, I thought you were saying that they were telling you you have to make a turn here or something but no no what they're no, saying just, is go away yeah go away go <laughs> away yeah why what was the problem well i found out later We're taking a short break, so I can tell you about just a couple of things. When we come back, we get the rest of the story. And we also find out why those riders ditched Steve. Stay with us. If you can't see it, then it's dangerous. On the road, I mean. The better your field of vision, the farther you can see down the road, then the longer you have to react. There's no better way to illuminate the road than with quality LED lights. Cyclops Adventure Sports is owned and operated by riders just like you and I, and they specialize in all kinds of lighting for motorcycles. LED replacement headlights, auxiliary lights, CAN bus plug-and-play systems for a bunch of bikes, very special yet affordable lighting made for us riders. They have the Evolution Safety Turn Signal Inserts, which I have on my bike, and I love these things. They turn your front turn signals into these super bright white driving lights, which double, of course, as your, your turn signals as well. And then the back, your signals turn into super bright tail lights, and then stunningly bright brake lights. I mean, these things are so bright, they make my factory LED light look dim. And, and it was super bright when I bought the bike. Everyone commented on it. But these are even brighter than that. So the combination of the three is just... It's arresting for the vehicle behind. You can see it illuminate signs in, in your mirror, like way, way down the road. It's really, really good. And that is safety because, of course, Cyclops' slogan is see and be seen. And you certainly do see and you certainly are seen with this stuff. Anyway, their website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. Sometimes comfort is mistaken for luxury. But when it comes to riding a motorcycle, comfort means less fatigue. And less fatigue means not only a more enjoyable ride, but it also means a safer ride because we all understand that fatigue draws us down, slows our reactions, clouds our good judgment. Comfort is really important for us riders. So when I think of the Atlas throttle lock, I not only think of the comfort I get from it, those two solid buttons with positive feedback, the ability to adjust the throttle up and down without disengaging it, the, the fact that it gives my wrist and hand a rest from gripping the throttle. Don't you notice on your, on your left hand how your left hand is always relaxed, but your right hand is clenched to hold that throttle? That's just part of riding. But when the road opens up, clenching your hand is kind of redundant. That's why the Atlas Throttle Lock is there. 
it takes that that clench away from you, gives you time to relax, makes your ride more comfortable, and lessens fatigue on you. And the Atlas works so well. I mean, it's so refined in design that you tend to use it without thinking about it. You know, you just sort of expect it to be there for you. It becomes that standard part of your equipment, equipment that you can count on, I always like to say. That's the hallmark of a great product. The website is atlasthrottlelock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, atlasthrottlelock.com. When you see a bunch of adventure motorcycles stood in a parking lot, you'll see all kinds of tires, panniers, bags, straps, things like that, all customized to meet the rider's wants and needs and looks, etc. But when you spot a set of IMS foot pegs on a bike, then you know that's a serious rider. Because serious riders know the difference in performance foot pegs will make, and they understand the value in investing in those and how much it will improve their riding skills. When IMS builds these pegs, they use everything they've learned from way back in 1976 when IMS started, right up till now. They use everything they've learned off the racetrack because over all that time, just about every podium finisher in off-road racing has had an IMS product on it. They take all that data and then they build these Adventure Bike Series foot pegs. And every detail, right down to the angle of the back of the casting, which is designed to shed mud and, and reduce clogging, they call it watershed design, or the two rows of staggered teeth meant to increase grip and not rip up your soul. I mean, all of these things make the difference. And of course, the material they use to make them, 17-4 cast certified stainless steel, they test them so extensively and they are so confident in these products that they cover them with a lifetime warranty. Lifetime. Now, even one step further, they're made in the USA where quality control can be monitored at the highest level. Seriously, if you don't have them, you should have. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Found out later. Found out later. I'll tell you about that uh, once we get to okay. the other bit. Okay, we'll have uh, to remember that. So keep your eye part of the Russians. So then... Uh, so I kept going and eventually I was totally lost and found this kind of little industrial place. I think it was oil or something. And I met a guy, I found a guy and he was a young Mongolian, but he spoke English. And he said he would he would take me to the, you know, lead me towards the town, but he needed to go back to his camp first. So I followed him and we just get into deeper and deeper sand and I fell off quite hard because I was chasing him and he's, he's, uh, he's big four before. And he didn't see me, so he went away. And I'm again taking the panniers off the bike, taking the tires off the bike, getting the bike up. Uh, I went to get my water, and my water bottle had burst. I thought, "This is great. This is like something out of a movie." It was stressful moments, but the guy come back, and I explained to him, "I says, look, if I'm I'm following you, I'm really struggling in this deep sand." I says, "So just be aware." And he says, "Okay, just follow me." And he, he went up on the step, uh, off off the off the road onto the, you know, just the, the wilderness, the step, and I thought, oh, what's this going to be like? And it was absolutely brilliant. So I just chased them across the step, and that was like one of the best rides of the of the whole thing because yeah. it, it was relatively solid. I was confident we're going fast. Because this is he was sort of there. a grassy surface? Yeah, it's just a kind of grassy, sandy, but it's matted. So, And I had no idea what it would be like when I was going on to it. I just thought, I'll follow him, I'll have to. So that was that. Uh, and then next day the road was again supposed to be half and half but it was all a ribbon of asphalt it was just it just been done it was beautiful so it was very relaxing and the day after that was from 
Altau to Bayakahonka or something like that was the final big day. And I knew that was probably going to be the hardest one from a, a, a gravel point of view. And again, I just said, I prayed. I never thought I'd pray for a gravel road, but I prayed that it'd be a gravel road. But again, no, they were building the big the, the roads and they spat you out the desert. And it was just, I mean, I, I dropped it. I think I counted eight times. And every time, you know, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm taking the panniers off. I'm taking the tires off. I'm built, lifting it up. So I was, eventually I was, I was absolutely exhausted. And I was a bit nervous that, you know, I, I need to camp somewhere and I was a bit nervous about going off because I didn't know how solid the ground would be. Uh, how long is it taking you when you drop it to get it back up again and get all your stuff back on? Uh, it's probably at least half an hour ago. Wow. Half an so hour times. That is yeah. stressful. And, and and it's more and more, I mean, it's, I'm lifting it on my own. It's more and more exhausting and you're just hoping it's at the right angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually I noticed as you kind of went through the undulations at the top of an undulation, the ground was rockier. So eventually I went off to the left and just went for a mile, turned my bike facing back towards where the, the track was and then I camped there. And, and the reason I went for a mile, or maybe it wasn't quite a mile, but quite a bit, was because the tracks, there's tracks everywhere. And I thought, I, you know, if I camp close to anywhere these tracks are, they could be a bus runs over me in the middle of the night. Mm, right. But I just, I remember putting the tent up, the stars are above me and stuff and and thinking, you know, in theory I should be quite nervous, but I was absolutely exhausted. I slept like a log. And then eventually, you know, the next day I got up and I was re-energised and, and made it to the uh, the next town. Would you mention when you first crossed the border and you and you heard that there was there possibly you know people who are criminals that would be looking mm. to rip you off? Where'd you mm. hear that? How did you get that information? I think it was forums. I think probably the, the forums that I was reading. Oh yeah, but you found no evidence of it. You, you didn't run into that. No, no, not at all. Mm. No. So, and what were the people like up till now in Mongolia? Uh, very friendly. Yeah, they were very friendly. The guy who's who's leading you, you know, who's following you, or, or you're following in the four wheel drive. I mean, he's just doing this out of the goodness of, of his heart to spend. Oh, this totally, time. Yeah. yeah, totally out of the goodness of his heart. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. So yeah, so, so I mean, after that, it was uh, what was described as a, a a ribbon of tarmac up to Ulan Batar. But uh, what what I was told after uh, I experienced the roads was that. They were the Chinese were building them and they're very very cheaply and they're falling apart and yeah it was it's it's probably the worst tarmac road I've ever been on. Oh, the, the, they're so they're fast yeah. as they're building the roads they're they're breaking yeah. down already. Yeah, <sighs> but it was I mean it was it was a zillion percent better than the the sand, <laughs> but it was uh, it wasn't a ribbon of asphalt definitely uh. not. <laughs> but but just before I come into Ulan Bator, uh, I saw the Russians. Uh, there was a coffee shop. It was like the first modern place just outside the city, and it was like there was coffee and cake. It was like I thought, oh my god, this is just phenomenal. <laughs> uh, and the Russians were there. And ah, the, now the these Russian, are the Russians that told you to get yeah, lost. Left me, yes, <laughs> right. and they came and talked to me, and uh, they said, they said, no, they said the reason we told you to go was because we are, we are going to the, we were going to the GS rally. Do you remember that BMW yeah. GS rally they do every year? Yeah. And it's a secret location, and uh, and we didn't want you with us. You you wouldn't be allowed to be with us. So that was the reason. Oh, apparently. 
I see. So at least, it, at least, I mean, it's, I was glad. To, like, yeah, I it would have been nice if they told you that to begin with, because yeah. instead of having you go yeah. away thinking, what is it? Is it something I said? Yes, is it my no, accent? I, it, was, it was weird. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the reason. That turned out to be the reason. The secret GS location, right, because I remember they did do it in Mongolia. And I remember. Yeah. I, oh, I yeah. see. So, uh, so yeah. that made you feel better. It certainly did. It yeah. certainly did. Uh, and then so I entered the big city of Ulan Batar and uh, straight away went to the, the Irish ch- uh, pub for beer, burger and chips or fries. They've got an Irish <laughs> pub in Ulan Batar. <laughs> yes, they have, yes. <laughs> and and is, thought, it, is it um, run by an Irishman? Yeah, uh, there was uh, Irish guys there, yeah. yeah. Ah. So, Interesting. And it was good. It was really good. And then from, right, from there, where do you go? Uh, I went up to the north of Mongolia uh, and just before the border in a, a camped, uh, a wild camp that night. Uh, and again, it was a very, very different scenery. It was all green and trees and rolling hills, so, but still nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was. A, I'm so glad I did Mongolia. It was, like, oh, it was brilliant. It was well worth uh, the, the check, yes. check box, right? It was it was very well worth the checkbox. Very well worth the checkbox. Mm-hmm. I would rather do it with friends and smaller bikes if I was doing it again. But I'm glad I did it. Well, it's interesting when you're talking about them building roads, and I and I have heard this already. But I was just mm-hmm. wondering if that sort of takes away from that. I mean, the whole draw as everyone talks about Mongolia, you know, no roads is basically yes. what everybody says. Obviously, yeah. outside of the cities, but um, mm-hmm. that's a real draw for it. And this to the thought of yeah. Asphalt, like you said, a ribbon of asphalt going along yeah. is kind yeah. of um, takes some of the the, uh, the the wonder from it. Yeah, I, I think so. But I think if you're going there, there's so much land like that. You know that the stuff that I bumped onto. If you're doing that in smaller bikes and you'd some friends where you were feeling a bit more confident, you could go a lot more wild. You know, take, taking some more wild routes than than mm-hmm. me trying to follow a. A road that's not there. Well, if you're spending 30 minutes picking up your bike, wrestling it back yeah. up each time you drop, yeah. that certainly yeah. takes the fun out of any technical sections. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So where do you go? So I went up to into Russia, and I had no problems getting in with the you, you know. I'd obviously they had retained my drugs, so I didn't have a problem with that. I just worried about the paperwork, but mm. it was all fine. And I went to a place called Ulan Ude which was, it felt really, really, Russia then felt really, really modern compared to Mongolia. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I was starting the quite a big, it's quite long miles each day on the route back along to Vladivostok. Uh, and what I was told was that from there, it was nice, tarmac, so I wouldn't have to worry about any roads, etc. Uh, but I made the mistake of following that out of Ulanudi and I ended up, I was riding for maybe 250 miles before I realised I'd gone, it taken me a way, but not the not the Trans-Siberian way. And I was on dirt roads for, you know, really bad, mucky dirt roads for quite a long while. Uh, so that was a very exhausting day. I, I, I was 250 miles into it and before I realised that I'd made a mistake and there was no connecting roads, I'd, I had to road 250 miles back to oh. to continue. Uh, so it's a very exhausting day, but it was, I mean, again, it was an experience. Yeah, disheartening uh, somewhat, I would think. Yeah, oh, very, very disheartening. Very, because I, I was looking for a bit of rest at that point and just, you know, enjoy the scenery, the, the, the Siberian scenery. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, yeah, and then I, I moved on. I mean, there was a one one place between Cheetah and Blagovnistok, I think you call it, pronounce it, where there's nothing for a thousand miles. I we stayed at a trucker stop. Uh, halfway along there, and uh, it was it was interesting because there's no locks in the doors, and it was very rowdy. So I used my straps off the bike to construct some kind of temporary lock, you know, that would at least let me know somebody was trying to come in the room. You're, you're talking the room you're staying in. Yeah, the room I was staying mm. in. The, Why are there no in, locks? In the trucker stop. I don't know. It's very weird. It's like, <laughs> but there was no locks. Really, really weird. So you, you said a thousand miles of, of stretcher yeah. with nothing on it, but but there's fuel. There is fuel, yes. Yeah, there is fuel. Uh, and then a couple of cities, there's a, the blood of Vonsnok, somebody will pronounce this better than me, is right on the, the border with China. That the, There's a, a Chinese city, I think, called Hain or something, on the other side of the river. That was amazing because it, it, as I was coming into that city, it was all like paddy fields and everything. It turned all Chinese, you know, just out the blue. Oh, wow. And uh, and there was an absolute monsoon, and I, I mean genuinely, the, the, the water was up, was touching the bottom of my cylinders, and I thought, I'm, it's going to flood here, it's going to break down. But I, you know, managed to get to a hotel that night. Uh, but I mean, it absolutely soaked to the skin, and my phone was completely destroyed and stuff. So the roads flooded, and it's pouring yeah. down rain. Yeah, absolutely pouring down with rain, and the roads were like rivers basically. So. Uh, your phone got a, wrecked because you're using that for navigation, I assume. It's, no, well, my phone was in my allegedly waterproof trouser pocket, but the uh, water was coming up so hard onto my legs that it flooded it. Yeah. Yeah, so from there it was it was on past another city and into Vladivostok, which was uh, the final destination and was a very modern city. Lots of Chinese tourists quite like San Francisco in, a, in many ways, the bridges and the hills and stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, and I had, had, had made it. And, uh, so the was, plan at this point now is what? So that I, I, to get the bike, I, well, I got a puncture uh, a, a couple of, about 500 miles out of Ladivostok, but thankfully it was a slow puncture. So, so I, I had to go and get the puncture sorted out for coming, when I was coming back to pick up the bike. And I, there was a BMW dealer in Vladivostok and I managed to find it. And it turned, turns out it was one of the three Russian guys in Mongolia that was the manager. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Yeah. I walked in and it's him. And, uh, and, and he sorted it all out for me very, very quickly, very proficiently. And, uh, and, and then I took the bike to the, the, the train company which was a, a good laugh because the, the guys were all just having fun with me because I couldn't speak a word of Russian. But, uh, we, you know, they were getting me to take bits off the bike and disconnect the battery and they will just throwing it onto a pallet. And so from there, th- that was it. The, the bike would go away and I, I flew back to Scotland. And uh, the, the flight from Mos- from Vladivostok to Moscow was was about eight and a half hours and I thought, you know, that just put into perspective what the the, the journey, the length of the journey had been. Mm-hmm. So that was that was it. That's the first leg of your round the world trip completely. That's the first leg. The, yep. Well done. other than three weeks after I got home I'd to fly back to Moscow and ride the bike home. And I had only three days to do it in because I'd used all my holidays and unpaid leave and my work. Wow. So that was so- a how did that fit into the plan? <laughs> That's a long, like, isn't that a long drive for you? 
It's, it was an absolute nightmare. And, uh, you know, it was the, the kind of iron butt stuff I was doing and, and it wasn't fun. But uh, yeah, that, it was just part of getting the bike back. So you, you flew home, the, the bike was shipped by train, as you mentioned. Yeah. And then yeah. sitting in Moscow and then you have to come yes. back from Scotland to Moscow, ride yeah. your bike back in three days because you've got to get back yeah. to work. Yes. Because at that point you, you didn't you didn't quit your job, obviously, on this one. No, no, no. I took uh, unpaid leave and in all my vacation. Right. So um, how, it took you, was it six weeks to do that? Yeah, six weeks. Six weeks. So you, six weeks, you, you shipped your bike back to, to Moscow and then it still had to ride it back from Moscow. Six weeks yes. time. When do you plan on doing the next leg at this point? Hey, that was the, the following year. Okay, so you have one vacation, you did that. The following year, you plan to continue on. And how does the, yes. the trip continue on? So this time, the plan, so this felt like the, the easy leg and, and was the easy leg, the relaxing leg. The plan was to fly the bike to San Francisco and ride to Boston and meet my wife in Boston and have a week in Boston together. Mm. So so uh, hang, hang on, did we miss the road of bones? Oh no, the road of bones is north. Uh, so you wouldn't end up in you end up in Madeline, isn't it? At the end of the right. road of bones. Right. So, uh, so you went back and, and rode the road of bones. No, no. So uh, the road of bones. When you're talking about the road of bones, uh, the between the trips, uh, I met up with Graham Van Vangas, who is who was the English guy living in Scotland. Uh, he was on the trip. Uh, and so we met up to camp up in Glencoe in Scotland, which is it's a beautiful place, a very atmospheric glen. So I met up with Graham uh, in between the trips, and Graham was, we, we caught up in the, 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 the trip, was there with another friend as well. We caught up on the trip, uh, and Graham was talking about he was going to go and do the Road of Bones uh, that, that next year. Uh, and I was telling him that, you know, I was going to go and do this route. So he was trying to convince me to go and do the Road of Bones, but I'd, I'd no real desire to go and do that, to go back to Russia. Uh, and I, I wanted to finish the trip. But he also, at that night, uh, said how, you know, you and I could do Africa together. And, and I said no, but in my my heart and my head, I was thinking, mm, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that could be a maybe, Graham. And, you know, so... So that, that was it, and, and we said we're goodbyes, and then Graham went out to do the Road of Bones before I went off on my trip, and he messaged me from the the edge of the Road of Bones. He was with the same tour company, but he had his own bike again, and, uh, he, he, and then he went into the Road of Bones, and I hadn't heard from him for quite a wee while, but I thought obviously the, the signals wouldn't be that great there, but eventually I... I was getting a bit concerned I hadn't heard from so I contacted the tour guy and he just said to me Graham's been in an accident so I, I googled it straight away and, and discovered that he'd been killed in the road of bones he'd, Kill? What, what kind of accident? Yeah. He, he'd, he'd either, I, I don't know the exact details but he'd either been hit or hit a, an oil tanker Oh, uh, which was just, I mean, it's like I, I only knew the guy for the few weeks that I was on the trip with him and, and that night in Glencoe, but he, he had a big impact on me and he had the, the same excitement, you know, the, the excitement around tents and camping gear and mm -hmm. motorcycling and stuff. So it was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure Graham and I would have done 
some things together, some uh, big things together. That's really uh, tragic. Yeah. And and he's on a tour at this point, though. So he's riding with a, a group that they know. He's riding with a group. Yeah, he's riding with a group. He just must. He just must have lost it in the in the gravel. Right. I guess. Oh, that's but yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah, really sad. Was, does, does, does that make you, or at the time when you found that out, did that make you rethink anything? Does that change the way you you saw things? It, it, it definitely took the wind out my sails, but it, it didn't make me think that I, you know, that I, I wouldn't want to continue to to do stuff. I think what it made me think was like be sensible around what you're doing, what age you are, etc. Mm. You know, just. For me, basically, yeah. Uh, I, I, and so. because you guys had so much in common, by the sounds of it, and yeah. you know, like you're you're mentioning the love of camping and all those little things that only people who are mm. really into that get mm. when you say that, and uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, and then gone just like that. I mean, that that is oh, life, so, isn't it? I was utterly shocked. I really was. I was totally shocked. So you um on the second leg of the trip let, let's go back to that your your idea what what's the overall idea here yes so the uh, the idea was to uh to to go to san francisco the, the american guy that was on the russian trip had offered to put me up for a couple of nights in his home in san francisco which was a, a great start oh so there's another person that you met with, with going yeah, to the tour group yes. in russia that's neat yes yeah so 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 mark uh Sears is his name, and and he very kindly said he'd put me up. Uh, so that, that was the starting point, and that's good because that would let me kind of get the bike out of, out of transportation, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was going to head through up through the kind of more interesting states, you know, towards the the Tetons and, and Yellowstone, and and I was going to go along Route Fifty uh, through the the desert. So. And and then uh, I wanted to go to Sturgis, even though the rally wasn't on. I was just kind of interested to go to that area and ride a bit of the Black Hills, and then so so mainly do the kind of big interesting parts of the West, and then just again from a timing point of view, once I got to the the Midwest, I would then just hit the highway and and, and head head along towards Boston. So that, that was how it worked out. That was the plan. And and the idea <laughs> was then when you get to Boston, you're going to fly home, fly the bike home. No, the idea was actually that because it costs you so much, you know, and I think it cost me sixteen hundred pounds to get it out there, and after COVID, eighteen hundred and fifty pounds to get it back. Uh, because you, you pay so much to get the bike out there, I thought I, I, I had contacted a friend, another old guy, a guy I'd never seen for like thirty-five years, who I used to work in a computer manufacturing company. He he came over from the Boston area because it was an American company to, you know, in business trips. So I contacted him just asking if there was anywhere I could leave my bike and his stepmom said she would keep it in her garage. So uh, the plan was to leave it in the garage and then I was going to come back the next year or the next spring, six months later, basically, and uh, and then do something. And it, it, it was the something that I'd need to do would need to involve Canada because um, the Americans didn't give me the right paperwork coming in. So I couldn't ship it out of America. I needed to get up to Canada to ship it out. So, I mean, again, I was talking with Graham around stuff like, could we do the Labrador Highway? I think you call it, do you? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, something like that. Uh, but but something that would involve, or, or maybe the Appalachian Mountains and then a bit of Canada. Uh, but COVID changed that, obviously. Mm. So what happened? Uh, well, in the end, the, the 
the bike was there for two and a half years because I, I couldn't get in because of COVID. In Boston? And, in Boston, yeah. So I was getting it maintained by this guy by getting batteries sent and stuff like that <laughs> to the to the house <laughs> and uh, and sending them instructions on how to do stuff. So he was really brilliant. You mean how to get but, it prepped for you when you come back? Yeah, just, just to keep it ready and keep it ticking over oh, and right, telling them to spin the front wheel and stuff like that when it was sitting there. But yeah. Uh, uh, two and a half years. No, so that's because of COVID. So you yeah. thought you were going to be coming back, I guess, the next year. Yes. After six months. Right. And planning to come back. As two and a half years later, yeah. you probably don't even recognize your bike when you get there. <laughs> and I struggled a wee bit with some of the, you know, the, the, uh, the functionality of it, <laughs> I <don't> actually. <laughs> like, like it's a new machine that you're riding. Yes, it was, it was. Well, I mean, it's, it, I can certainly see that. That's a long time, two and a half years off your bike. Now, do you have yeah. another bike at home? I, I bought an Indian, uh, funnily enough, while the bike was away. And, uh, and because it's getting kind of feet forward and stuff, it just felt totally different. I mean, it's t- certainly not an adventure bike. Oh, yeah. That's a completely so, different ride. Yeah, completely different ride. So when you go back two and a half years later, what's your plan? So I, I ended up, because everything had changed, uh, uh, myself and a couple of friends had fancied doing Route 66, although they they, they, didn't, they weren't doing it in a bike, they were doing it in a car. Mm-hmm. So I thought after all that time, I could use the bike, I could ride to Chicago and do Route 66 on the bike, which I'd want to do anyway. And then across to uh, LA, then up to, to uh, Vancouver, and and, sh- and ship the bike out, uh, and stayed there for a, for a few nights and enjoyed Vancouver and, and and had arranged the shipping out of Vancouver back to London actually so I had to go down to London and ride it up from London but mm. uh, but we talk about budget the whole the twenty thousand I talked about I, I managed to do everything all of that for just under the twenty thousand so I kind of almost tagged on an extra trip so you stuck was, within your budget yes. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And it was like, it's interesting. I mean, it was like 25 pounds within it or something, but I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal trip for, uh, for the price, I think. It's a lot of money, but you know, it's obviously not something you're going to do Yeah, often. And then you pack everything up and your bike gets flown back home to Scotland. Yes. And, and that's it. You sell the bike now and you, you move on to other things. No. <laughs> no. Well, you did mention you're retired, right? So you, you, th- yes. something's changed there. Yes, yes, actually, yes. I, I retired. I, I kind of got, uh, there was redundancies at my work, which kind of suited me because it was the impetus to, to, to move on. Right. And uh, and that was actually, that was just before the American trip. So I could have gone for longer, had I known that. But anyway, oh. the, uh, <laughs> but the, so, you know, so I've, I've been doing, like Scottish stuff and and thoroughly enjoying it. I'm, you know, I'm going to Australia, uh, not with the bike, but I'm I'm going to Australia a week before my wife and I'm going to ride my friend's bike. He's got two bikes. We're going to ride in, down to Tasmania and get around there. So still doing a bit of stuff. Mm, and then your wife's coming and, uh, to meet you. She'll come and meet me once I come up off the bike mm, and, nice uh, and, and do our holiday. So yeah, it's just just trying to do things, but. Yeah, still loving it and no plans to sell the bike. Too precious. So the round the world trip though, has that mm-hmm. changed you? Has that changed your thought process? Has that, has that ticked off some boxes that makes you not want to go back there? What has that done? Yeah, I, 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 it's a great sense of achievement. Uh, it, it was 
you know, I enjoyed all of the countries and yeah, yeah, there's bits of stresses and strains. But I mean it's just it's 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 just great memories to look back on. You know, that it was almost like the two halves of the, the Russia, Mongolia and stuff being harder and, and the US part feeling a lot easier. Just just more relaxing the US part, uh, just because of the language and stuff and the road conditions. Do you see that as a prerequisite for something else, like perhaps going to Africa? Eh, it, it wouldn't need to be a prerequisite. Africa would be, again, about how long I would be there, and I definitely wouldn't do it on my own. No, what I'm uh, thinking and, for you, though, does that give you the sort of a, a step up? Like, I mean, is it like a stepping stone? Do you find that every trip that you do, because you've done a lot of trips now, and, mm-hmm, and do you yeah. find that as you do these trips that you're, it's sort of opening things up or removing barriers for you, it may, you know, when you're thinking of other places? I, I guess to a certain extent, uh, yes. Yeah, I guess so. Because you, you know you're going to get there. You know you're you're going to make your way through stuff and you know nothing's as scary as it's often made out to be. So, so yeah, it, it leaves you in a position of reasonable confidence that you can you can do stuff. It's just, again, get, getting the balance right, the, the family balance right, the finances and... You know, and just making sure that you you stay relatively safe. What tips would you have for someone in considering a around the world trip? Would you recommend at this point that they they go with a tour group through some areas? Uh, and and what other tips would you have? Uh, I I would generally. I mean, uh, everybody feels has has their own comfort zone. I would generally avoid going with tour groups. Uh, it it worked out fine, but I, I, you know, it, it was a. a it was a, a ways of me managing to achieve something else, basically. Uh, and it, it just depends, you know, what you're like, who, what your personality is like. I guess it's it's often more comfortable if you can go with somebody that you can travel with really well, because that mm-hmm. always helps, definitely. But, I mean, it's great being out on your own. So if, if you want to be out on your own, but you're not so comfortable about more, the more tricky situations, then you can pick countries that... That suit you better. You mean you can have great adventures. So if you're American, you can have a great adventure going to the Yukon and Alaska. If you're if you're European, you can have a great adventure going to the Nordcap, which should be and nothing's totally safe, but are very re- relatively safe places to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but you use the the tour group because that worked out for you for shipping wise. So yes. if, it, if it wasn't for the shipping thing, you wouldn't have bothered. You just would have went on your own. I would imagine if I had a, a nice clean cut route to get the bike back, I would have went and mowing, yes. I see. Yeah, because it, it would take some extra money to obviously yeah. go with the group that, that, you're yes. putting, that you could put into travel. Yes, yeah. Right. And, 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 and as I said, they were good. There was nothing wrong with it. I enjoyed it. There was perks to it in terms of the, the you know, help with the language and getting me through that first part of Russia. So I appreciate what was done. Mm-hmm. So having done this, uh, this round the world trip now, what do you think are the prerequisites for a trip like that? Is it something that a, a first timer could go and do? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think so. I mean, just a, a confident first timer could could go and do it. But uh, I mean, I, I guess if somebody's not been abroad or, or hasn't been any long trips in their motorcycle, I would suggest that they go and do something more local to them. First of all, go for a week or two somewhere. Mm-hmm. and see how you get on. If you're planning to camp, go for a week or two in camp and see how your packing works out for you. 
What were the the challenging bits for the round the world trip? What do mm-hmm. you consider to be the challenging things that you would probably tell somebody about if they were considering a trip of their own? I think the I think the preparation and you know just visas and stuff like that can all be quite challenging. Uh, when, when when I was getting my Russian, when I'd applied for my Russian visa, uh, I don't know if you remember it. There was a Novichok poisoning in Salisbury in the UK. Uh, where the, the basically a, cu- a couple were were poisoned by <laughs> Russian authorities. Oh and, right, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that that put a that put a big question mark around the whole visa process because the, the the UK and Russia were definitely not going on well during those weeks. So you've got you know the preparation. The the, the Mongolian uh, embassy issued the wrong visa to me that didn't include a, a vehicle but we managed to get that corrected so so that's that's some of the, the challenging bits and, and just knowing you know whether if you need a carney or anything like that and, and knowing you know what borders you're going to be crossing if you need any visas etc and 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 that was part of my the route that i picked was to minimize all of that because i, was, I didn't have an awful lot of time mm, knowing that each border is going to take up a considerable amount of time for even just the processing yeah. right yeah definitely and yeah, it's more sense. more points that can go wrong. And you, when you're saying the preparation for these for the visas and whatnot, you're, this is all stuff that you did in advance. Yes, yeah. Before you I left, I did it all in advance. Yeah, mm, right. Uh, yeah. And what else? I mean, I I think that's there's you, you just just got to go, just do a bit of research of where you're going, and 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 then head out. <laughs> Steve, you're making this yeah, sound really easy. I, I, I think it is quite easy, Jim. <laughs> you know, what I mean, I think I think it's just as long as you, you know, you, you feel okay about yourself and you and you you feel as if your bike's well prepped. That's another major thing. You know, get your bike as well prepped as you can. And when you uh, say well you, prepped, you're yeah. not talking about extras bolted on. You're talking about a bike no, in no. good mechanical shape. Yes, good mechanical, good mechanical shape, mm-hmm. and and the ability to carry whatever luggage you need. Was there anything about your setup that you didn't like on, on the trip or something that you needed that you didn't put on or something that you put on that you thought you wouldn't bother taking again? Uh, no, no, the only the only change for the first trip to the second was the freestanding tent. And the only problem with the equipment in my bike or my bike was me not reducing my tyre pressures. The other thing I, I decided to do was uh, my two fuel uh, cans, I decided not to fill them before crossing the Mongolian desert because in my head I thought, oh, that'll just add weight, that'll be, that's, and it was like another stupid, stupid decision because I had real petrol anxiety uh, a couple of times. Petrol anxiety, I like that. Yeah, because I'm (laughs) I'm sitting here with two empty, you know, petrol containers. It's like, oh God, why did I not fill them? Mm. It's the very place you would fill them. I mean, I'm carrying them full and, passing 10 gas, 10 gas stations a mile in America. <laughs> and I've got them empty in, in the Gobi Desert. <laughs> a guy um, um, in Mongolia was let down to nothing and a guy wrote in the sand 70k. I thought 70 kilometres you've got. I mean, I thought I'm completely, completely screwed. And then I went on to the next guy and he said, pointed at something and I says, can he ushered for him? Please, please lead me there. And he led me there. And it was like, I don't know, it was a couple of miles or something, but it's just, Oh, what a relief. And what that was relief. fuel that he was pointing. That to. was fuel. Yes. Oh, wow. hmm. 
Anything else you've learned from your your trips, all in general, that you that you want to share? I think just the the, the message in, about this one is it's you know you've just got to bear in mind you're coming home and bear in mind you've got a family, bear in mind your finances and you know different people are in different situations and. You know, you, you talk to some wonderful guys that this, the old fella that disappeared for Yorkshire and didn't come back for seven years or something. It's like... <laughs> Ian Coates. Oh, he was brilliant. But, <laughs> you know, everybody's different. And I think just work it out for yourself. What what can you and your, your family or your, your, your partner or whatever come to agree to? And, and now, does that stem from returning from that trip where you where you wrote the book and, and not having a job and having to work all that out? Was that... That's, is yes. that where that comes from? Yes, yes, it, it was really. I was, I was thinking, you know, so, I mean, uh, if I wanted to keep doing that type of trip ongoing, then my life would probably have to be quite different, I would imagine. Mm. I've got, you know, I've got a very patient and understanding, supportive wife, but uh, she's probably not going to want me to go on a seven-year trip. Right. And the reality is, is that when you come back, you've, you've still got these things you have to deal with, all these obligations that you need to meet. And and yeah. then maybe that doesn't really offset the joy of the trip is, is kind of what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I've done all of the trips. I'm glad I did the trip. You know, a, a lot of people would say that, you know, the, the four and a half months for the, the Pan America thing is, is a ridiculously short time. But for me, it was great and it was fine. I'm quite driven. And so it's just got to work for you, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting observation, though. You're talking about responsibility. You're talking about, you know, be responsible. Because a lot of people go, and, and like you say, everybody, each each their own, right? Everyone has their mm-hmm. own methods and what they can deal with and, mm-hmm. and the type of things that they want to experience in life. But it does make you make you think about that, that there is a yeah. return. And we often talk about that on this show, you know, mm-hmm. like, what do you do yeah. when you get back? Yeah, but in particular, if you've got some obligations that you have to meet, yeah, that that could be quite stressful, and and that's where taking a trip like the round the world trip, like you've just done, and breaking mm-hmm. it up into well, you did it in two sections, you could have done it a lot yeah. more, and yeah. and that makes it like manageable, bite sized chunks, and doesn't it doesn't make you burn all your bridges where you you can still return yeah. to work, etc. Yeah, that was the plan. Steve, that was great to hear about your adventures. Thank you so much, and and best of luck on your Australian trip. Okay, thank you, Jim. Great to talk to you. I was speaking with Steve Mason from Lindsay in Scotland. Now, we mentioned near the beginning about the the book that he'd written about his previous trip called Llamas, Bananas, and Bears. We've got a link to that in the show notes. Steve also wrote a book about this trip that we just talked about, the Around the World Adventure. It's called Once Around the Block. He has two other books as well, all available on Amazon. We've got the links in the show notes for this episode on our website, along with some interesting photos about this adventure that we just talked about. All in the show notes for this episode at AdventureRiderRadio.com.
Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. This show is built on a model of listener support and a little bit of advertising. We sure hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, consider you know what you get from the show, especially if you're listening to it every week. And drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. We'd love it if you'd uh, jump onto our, our patron support program. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike. But before you do, hang on, I got one more thing I want to tell you about. In case you don't know already, we have another show that we co- that's called Raw that we do once a month. Um, some people, I've just found lately, some people who have actually not heard of one or just sort of just discovered one from the other. So anyway, we have another show. It's all the website, adventureriderradio.com. Drop by our website, have a look around and, uh, and familiarize yourself with that. And you'll find the, the links to that as well. Anyway, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. My name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week. I'm Sterling Noreen, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.